Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Jordan, I'm great, and I want to say thank you for allowing me and our church to share that moment with your family on Sunday. That was such a special time as we got to celebrate Thomas's dedication, Mm -hmm. and your whole family was up there up front, man. And what was so cool for me, uh, just to start us off with me talking a lot here, (laughs) um, was just watching the journey that you and Taylor have had. And I remember the day you told me, you know, there's, there's somebody. And, uh, and then I remember getting to share in your wedding during COVID, yeah. uh, where we had 10 of us there and zoomed to the world and your broadcast skills were on display then. And then to watch you all welcome Isaac and now to watch you welcome Thomas and to be able to share in both of those dedications. I'm just floating, uh, 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 Dave Beckley, whose son Elliot is our engineer and in the room with us, uh, recording us right now, captured the most perfect photo of that experience when Isaac and I were sharing a fist bump. Yeah. And yeah. so, man, I just wanted to start us off today by saying you have a beautiful family and thanks for being a part of our church family and letting us be a part of yours. Absolutely. I, I love that ceremony that it's you know, us dedicating Isaac and saying that we're going to raise him, you know, as as best we can in discipleship to Christ. But yeah. then also, you know, you turn to the audience and you're like, well, you all commit to helping them, you know, raise him according to discipleship in Christ. And I I just love that that moment because it's it's just so affirming isn't the right word, but it's like uh uh you feel the support of so many people wanting to help and you know, help someone come to Christ and be raised the right way. Yeah. You know, you just you just feel that support from your church community when you're standing up there saying like I have this baby and I I need help. You yeah, know, Taylor oh, sure. and I need help. You know, we're we uh we're uh I'm an adequate parent. I hope uh she's a great parent. Um, <laughs> but you know, but we need our church family. We need community. You know, yes. you, you can't do it alone. That's right. And and you think about the number of people, you know, with my my kids who are just a little bit further along than yours. Um you watch the number of people that God uses to speak into their lives uh, because at some point, as brilliant and bright as you and your bride are, there will come a moment when your boys do not find you to be as brilliant and bright as you truly are. And so uh, to, to watch how God uses other people to speak the truths of Almighty God into their lives and to teach them and to admonish them, it, it really is what a community of faith is supposed to be all about. It's um, it's truly a faith family. And so that's a great moment that we get to share. And looking forward to the moments when we get to share baptisms and, and just, man, it's just, it's just phenomenal. God is so good. And uh, just wanted to start us off on that note today. God is good all the time. Amen. And all the time, <laughs> God is good. So uh, speaking of which, we'll get into Scripture, which also says that God is good. There you go. So uh, our verses for today are Matthew four twenty one through 22. And going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about John, John, the son of Zebedee, picking up 
right, you know, from your sermon on Sunday. Yeah. So on Sunday, you mentioned that before meeting Jesus, John, the son of Zebedee, was a disciple of John the Baptist. So what did it mean to be a disciple of John the Baptist? And then how does that feed into or compare with being a disciple of Jesus? Well, you think about this. The term disciple, if you go back to the original language, simply means learner. So it is mathetes, and and it is one who is learning. And so at the most basic level, what you have with John, the son of Zebedee, who was very likely um, an early disciple of John the Baptist, and we know that throughout John the Baptist's ministry, he had disciples. He had uh, men who followed him and who sought to learn from him. And so... John is not named explicitly in John's gospel, um, but but it's Andrew and another disciple. And as we've seen through John's gospel, you know, John doesn't uh, refer to himself. He often refers to himself as another disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, um, you know, really, what that means at the most basic level is that these guys were seeking to learn from John the Baptist. But you think about John the Baptist's ministry. What is he doing? Well, he's out. In the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, which incidentally is is not a pleasant place to be. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, the fact that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the Judean wilderness, I mean, it, it, it's hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's desert. It's true desert. Um, and it is, it is arid, and it, it's, it's one of those places where um, I did not think when we went over there to take chapstick with me mm. and ended up having to buy some because your lips dry out just from a very short amount of time. Well, they didn't have chapstick then. Now, of course, they had oil and things of that nature that they could use, but it's just not a pleasant place to be. And so John is baptizing in the Judean wilderness. He's, he's, he's coming um, in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for God's Messiah, and he's calling people to repentance. And so... Again, at the most basic level, this would mean that John and Andrew were seeking to follow John the Baptist when they could, but they also had other jobs. I mean, they're fishing partners, and so they had to fish. And so we don't know exactly what all the details of that arrangement were, but we know that they were seeking to learn from John the Baptist. And in in order to do that, they were spending time around John the Baptist. They were listening to his teaching. They were following where he went when they could do that. So um, now it would have looked different when they got out of the boat to follow Jesus because they they left that business to really devote themselves full time to following Jesus. And so there had to be some difference there. Uh, but scripture doesn't give us all the ins and outs of what that difference would have looked like. Yeah. Well, and with them, I mean, you know, they weren't necessarily called to be the 12, you know, right here when they're getting out of the boat, That's but right. they would go on to become the the closest ring of disciples to the master. They really would. And it's very interesting. I'm not sure how Andrew got left out of that equation. <laughs> so you got Simon and Andrew and James and John who are business partners. So two sets of brothers. Um, and then you look at the three closest disciples, Peter, Simon, uh, and James and John. And so who knows what happened with Andrew, but um, they spent a lot of time together and they spent a lot of time with Jesus. And, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to in glory, I hope we get to sit down and talk with these guys and just say, 
you know, you wrote down so much, but even John wrote explicitly in his gospel, if all the things Jesus said and did were written down, there's not enough books in the world to contain the knowledge. So just, I want to hear what it's like. What was it like just to follow Jesus that closely, to get to get so close to him that not only are you hearing his words, but you're watching his patterns of behavior. You're, you're being taught, but, but there are also lessons that are being caught just from your proximity to him. Um, what was that like? I can't wait to hear about that. It's going to be incredible. It will be. It will be. It will be incredible. And just a word on discipleship in the first century with Jewish rabbis. I mean, that was their job was to listen and to repeat what their teachers were saying. Yeah. Um, like, like you were saying, the, these, you know, the 12 were disciples of Jesus, and then John had disciples as well. Other rabbis you know, at the same time had disciples, and their job was to listen to all the teachings of their teacher, memorize them, and then repeat them back to future generations of disciples. Yeah. Um, which you, you know, is cool because we get to see that play out in the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. We have you know, these stories from Peter, you know, they go to Mark, and then Mark writes Mark. Matthew and Luke come, you know, based upon the text of Mark. John has his stories. They get into the Gospel of John, and you just see the these teachings of Jesus preserved. You know, sometimes even decades and decades after they were given, but because they were disciples, because it was their job to remember these things. That's right. And repeat them. We can know with good certainty that these were the things that Jesus was saying, because this was their job to preserve, preserve these things and repeat them. Yeah. It's phenomenal, and it's also interesting, you know, not to get too deep in the weeds of this, but you look at the the gospel writers themselves, how they kind of wrote to different audiences, Mm -hmm. and you think about how disciples who were following a rabbi, you know, might contextualize their message to speak to a different group, you know. Public speaking one on one hundred and one is know your audience. Who are you talking to, and how do you connect with them? And so you can even see that the gospel writers, as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit, know their audience, and they're writing to that particular audience. It's really a beautiful thing. Um, so absolutely, yeah. It's it's <clears throat> so neat to see how God used humanity, directed by the Holy Spirit to bring us the truth of who Jesus is so that when illuminated by the Holy Spirit, we might come and find everlasting life in him. It's beautiful. It is. And that's a great way way to segue into our next question, which is a listener-submitted question. So the question is, who has more responsibility for knowing better than to disrupt holy moments? So this is kind of hearkening back to last week's sermon about um, the disciples and asking who's the greatest, you know, in the midst of the Last Supper. Right. So, so who has the better, who has the higher responsibility for knowing better than to di- disrupt these moments? The the disciples, the twelve, because they were with Jesus and they could see him, hear him, touch him, or us because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives every moment of every day. Well, let me say this. First of all, that is a brilliant question, and we have some great listeners, so thank you. And I just want to encourage you, if you have questions, submit them, and we will do our best. But this is really an insightful question because you think about the fact that when these disciples were following Jesus, they had not been given the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. And so Jesus would tell them that once he was gone, he would send the Holy Spirit. Um, This would be the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that God would write 
his law on our hearts and, and, and that it would be this intrinsic moment and we become the temple of the living God. So the pilgrimage is, is not to a certain city, but the pilgrimage is to God who comes to be with us where we are. He tabernacles with us and it, it is a beautiful thing. Um, so based on that, you got to remember that the disciples before they received the Holy Spirit did not have the same sort of enlightenment that we have as believers in Jesus Christ today because when we receive Christ, God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. It comes. I believe it happens all at the same time. At the moment that I receive Christ, God gives me the Holy Spirit to dwell within me, to to enable me to understand the Scripture, to guide me, to guard me, to convict me, uh, and to lead me in the paths of righteousness. And so uh, one of the best analogies that I've heard, and this came from Tommy Nelson, who's the pastor of Denton Bible Church, he said, you know, you think about the difference between a Rand McNally road atlas and a GPS. And he said, you know, throughout the course of my life, he's in his 70s now, he said throughout the course of my life, you know, if I wanted to get anywhere, I had this big old road atlas and I would follow the map. And he said, but now... For me to go anywhere, I have this this British woman who speaks to me from my phone and says, "Good morning, Tom. You know, <laughs> turn right now. You know, it's kind of like." And he said, "What an analogy for the Holy Spirit that uh, the Holy Spirit is not changing the map. It's not. He's not changing the Word of God." Um, but what he is doing is helping us to navigate according to the word of God as we go. And so it's a beautiful thing. Um, now, again, we could chase a lot of rabbits right here um, about how people get this wrong. But yeah, that's a brilliant distinction to recognize that the disciples before the giving of the Holy Spirit did not have the same level of illumination that even we do in this moment because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to teach us, to admonish us, to guide us, to guard us, to convict us, uh, and to point us toward Jesus and in the way we should go. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I think we have the, the bigger responsibility now because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now, to be clear, unbelievers would not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And so you may you may have unbelieving friends and family who make decisions that leave you just scratching your head sometimes thinking, why would anybody do that? Well, when we have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, God shows us his way and and that is thoroughly different from the world's way. It just is. And so there's really something to that. And so I think there has to be some level of grace on our part to say, you know, yeah, lost people are going to act lost just like we did, um, because until the Holy Spirit dwells within you to guide you, um, you're going to make decisions that just don't make sense. Uh, and, 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 you know, some people say, well, I just I can't understand how they think. And well, that's right. And they can't understand how we think um, because there's there's this distinct difference. They are dead in sin. We are alive in Christ. They are devoid of God's Holy Spirit. We have been given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And so that is a vast distinction there, uh, which, you know, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked. It's why I won't marry a Christian with a non-Christian. It's not just religious affiliation. It's there's there's a distinct, a distinct distinction. There is a distinct difference there 
um, at the most basic level, at the most spiritual level, that we don't see the world the same way. Uh, We don't even think the same way because we're not empowered to think the same way. I have the Holy Spirit. You don't. And that doesn't make me better. That just means that I have received the grace of God that is also available to you if you would repent and believe. So um, it makes a big difference to have the Holy Spirit. One other thing that I'll say, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, not uh, not just some amorphous entity. So the uh, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and so you will hear me refer to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. And uh, that's an important distinction, too. Okay, so I have a follow-up to what you just said. So we're we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the—we're really kind of talking about the giving of the Spirit, too, mm-hmm. because we're talking about the disciples who were walking with Jesus and then— you know, in Acts 2, when they have the Holy Spirit pour out upon them, there is this marked change in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So how does that connect or relate with the Holy Spirit before Acts 2? Uh, you know, in the New Testament, you know, in the Gospels particularly, but, you know, even going back into the Old Testament, I mean, you know, the Spirit pours out on Moses and then pours out on the 70 elders. You know, the, these uh, moments are there, but how do those connect with um, whatever that marked change is that happens in Acts 2? That's a great question because some people would say, well, the Holy Spirit was absent from the world um, before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the giving of the Spirit. And that's not the case. I mean, you go back and, and as you mentioned, Moses, and um, you think about Saul, you think about uh, David, that there is this special anointing. And in fact, Saul had the Holy Spirit taken away from him. Uh, and, and apparently that was such a difficult experience to see up close that when David had his incident with Bathsheba and he wrote Psalm 51, he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me because he saw what that looked like. And so the difference is the pervasiveness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two upon the believers, uh, all the believers had, had tongues of fire over their heads as, as, indication that the Holy Spirit was now being gifted to all of God's people who are in Christ. And so that's the difference. Yes, the Holy Spirit was given to certain people to do certain things in certain times uh, or based on certain callings that God had given them, but it was not, uh, the Holy Spirit was not pervasive uh, throughout all of God's people. Whereas after Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon each of those uh, who has repented of sin and received Jesus Christ. And so that's a great question. Uh, No, the Holy Spirit was not absent. No, the Holy Spirit was not created at Acts 2. The Holy Spirit, uh, as the Father and the Son, uh, has always been. And so the Holy Spirit is co-eternal with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is equal uh, insofar as Godhood <laughs> with the Father and the Son. Uh, now, the Bible tells us that as the Son came to do the will of the Father, so the Holy Spirit is is doing the will of the Father and the Son. And so there is this hierarchy of authority, but that is not a hierarchy of Godness. In other words, um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal, co-eternal, and all persons of the Godhead who uh, are the triune God. 
So the Holy Spirit has always been. Jesus has always been. He did not. Uh, he did not come into being when he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Um, but he is also co-eternal with the Father. And so, a lot of deep theology there, theology proper. But it's important theology. Um, so, no, the Holy Spirit was active in the world. In fact, in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God. Was hovering over the waters. So even at the very beginning of creation, God the Holy Spirit was there. Amen. And just to bring this point home, I'm looking at John 7 39. So there it says, For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the would it be correct to say that John there is saying Acts 2 hadn't happened yet, this outpouring of the Spirit hadn't happened yet. So this teaching that Jesus is giving about the Holy Spirit is just before that. It's yeah. not that there was not Holy Spirit before then. Right. That's exactly right. That's a great clarification. Yeah. So let's make all of this practical with today's practical application question. Listeners, if you do have a question, like Jeff said, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. So today's practical application question is actually another listener submitted question, and it is, how can I make the Holy Spirit's presence in my life more real, allowing him to guide and teach every moment of every day. What a great question from the heart of someone who is clearly yearning to trust and follow Jesus, and, and that's the deal. So how do we do that? Well, the, the one word answer I will give is just submission. So it is, and I, I've said this before, I'll say it, Lord willing, until he calls me home. Following Christ is not just a one-time decision. It is an every decision decision. And so what I mean by that is this. We must, yes, decide to follow Jesus insofar as we repent of our sin and we receive Jesus Christ as Lord. But that is called crossing the starting line of faith. It's not the finish line. Once we start we run our race in Christ by allowing Christ to influence our decisions. So how then do I submit to Christ's lordship in my life as appropriated by the Holy Spirit who dwells within me? Well, this is, this is not going to be earth-shaking, but if you'll do it, it will be. I get in the Word and hide God's Word in my heart. I spend time in prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And, and I think another helpful modern-day analogy is this. Uh, think about having God on your Bluetooth device, just mm -hmm. always there. The conversation's always open. Um, that doesn't mean you're always praying out loud. People will look at you funny. Um, but it does mean that, that when God says pray without ceasing, I believe he absolutely means that. Uh, I don't think that's hyperbole. And I think that what that means is that because we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and God is always with us wherever we go, that we seek his input as we make decisions. Um, we, as we have hidden his word in our heart, the Holy Spirit brings it to our minds and helps us do what is pleasing in his sight. And so the way that, that I seek to have the Holy Spirit uh, be more prevalent, as it were, in my life, it's not that he's more present but that I'm paying more attention to him, if that makes sense, is just a continual posture of submission, saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. 
I believe that you are sovereign over my day. I believe that you're sovereign over my calendar. I believe that you're sovereign over the incidental meetings that I will have today. You know, if I'm going to the grocery store and I run into somebody, I believe God orchestrated that. And I believe that God gives opportunities for us to encourage one another, even in those sorts of settings and those sorts of contexts. And I'm always so thankful for those moments. But I think it's just a general posture of submission to God saying, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Um, and I have things that I want to do, like my flesh is compelling me to do some things that, that I'm willing to die to because you're the Lord of my life. I'm not the Lord of my life. So, so how does that happen? Well, it's just a continual, again, a continual posture of submission, but it's augmented. It is, it is, it is enriched by our participation in the spiritual disciplines, particularly reading God's Word every single day praying uh, throughout the course of your day, certainly having times when you go into your, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see here, your prayer closet that Jesus would would talk about, um, but then praying as you go as well. And um, that will really cultivate. I'll tell you some other things that are very important. Being in church, you know, actually getting up, leaving the house, and going together with the body of Christ, being involved in a group, being involved in, in, in a Bible study of some sort, whether that's Sunday school or a Cornania group or a Bible study group, that's vitally important. Using what God has given you to serve, saying, Lord, you've given me gifts, talents, and abilities and resources, and I'm going to employ them as a contributor to your kingdom in the power of your Holy Spirit. You know, I can't, can't do anything apart from you, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, I want to take what you've given me and contribute to your kingdom instead of building my own. Um, giving financially, you know, that, that's, that's the old joke among preachers is that the wallet is the last, the last <laughs> part of a person to get saved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'll tell you, my wife and I tithe and, and, and then we go beyond that and, it's always a conversation where we look and say, you know, that's a lot of money. Uh, if you have um, $10 and you're going to give away $1, you have nine left. Now you say, well, that's great, but that $1 is a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about surrender and submission, saying, Lord, this is all yours anyway. And this is what we believe you've called us to do, so we're going to do it. And and yeah, um, We've had conversations of, you know, if you think about what you could do with that amount of money, you could do a lot, but I don't think God would bless that. I think that, that, that God blesses obedience and, and that he has always been faithful to us, always been faithful. And so, again, all those things, the more I surrender to him, the more I am, I am actively saying, lead me. And, and frankly, the more I'm looking for his leadership, it matters. So, so it, it seems very mundane, quite frankly, uh, of how do I embrace more of the Spirit's leadership in my life. But doing those mundane things makes a world of difference. It does. May we continue to grow in these practices. Uh, may we continue to um, draw nearer and nearer to God through his Holy Spirit. And may we just continue to walk this life together. Um, honoring God as much as we can. Amen. Uh, Can you pray us out for today? Yeah, let's pray. 
Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit who enlightens us to understand your word and to trust you and follow you. We thank you for the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings when we stray from what you would have us to do and to be. And we're thankful, Lord, that you love us enough to redirect us and to get us back on the right path and to lead us in the way everlasting. And Lord, we do. We pray that as we come to holy moments through ordinary means, by reading your word, um, by being a part of a church family, uh, by serving and, and by giving and by loving and encouraging, Lord, we are so blessed and we're so thankful for it. Even as we saw that evidenced in the wonderful baby dedication that we got to have with the Upton family on Sunday, that we are in this together and we're in it together with you. And so, Lord, let us live out our faith in a way that is a blessing to you and in a way that is a blessing to everyone we meet. Because, Lord, we believe that everyone we meet is put there by you for a reason. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we are, we are able to positively impact people's lives in the name of Jesus. We pray that our lives would lead um, to a witness that compels others to come to Jesus and to find that full and abundant life empowered by your Holy Spirit as well. We ask all these things, trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fuying Engdahl.